John chapter 14, beginning at verse 16 down through 26. John 14, 16. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I do not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. And because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who keeps my commandments, who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you would manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I've said to you. Thank you, Brother Phil. All right, this morning we're in John chapter 14, and I just want to take a few minutes this morning and look at the topic of digging deeper into pneumatology. Pneumatology. We've been talking a little bit off and on through the last few weeks on our statement of faith, and not necessarily in order. We've just been kind of jumping around in our statement of faith and trying to make sure that we all understand that we're all on the same page about what we believe here at Friendship Bible Church. We've already looked at our beliefs concerning the Bible. We've looked at our beliefs concerning uh, Christ, Jesus Christ, and we've looked at our beliefs concerning salvation, uh, at least some of those things. And today I wanted to start to look into the topic of the Holy Spirit just a little bit. And the very first thing I discovered as uh, I started digging into our statement of faith and what it has to say about the Holy Spirit is that it uh, basically doesn't say anything about the Holy Spirit. This distressed me somewhat. There seems to be a paucity of clarity on pneumatology in our statement of faith. How's that for word use, Brother Jim? That was pretty good, wasn't it? A paucity of clarity on pneumatology. As a matter of fact, here's what our statement of faith says about the Holy Spirit. This is it. We believe there is one and only one living and true God, and that in the unity of the Godhead there are three persons, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's it. And the Holy Spirit. That's all our statement of faith says. So clearly we have a problem there, and clearly we need to think about that a little bit. Uh, back when we first came up with that statement of faith, the leadership team, uh, I can't remember who all was on that group at the time, we worked hard on that statement of faith, but I think that's an area that we want to go back and revisit. Because there's so much more to the topic of the Holy Spirit then, and the Holy Spirit. There's so much more that needs to be in there. So much more, in fact, that I don't think we can discuss this fully in one message. We'll probably be a couple of weeks, maybe three weeks, I don't know, on this matter of pneumatology. Pneumatology is just a big word that means the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. 
And so well, we're going to look at just two different things about that this morning, and then we'll save some others for later. But this morning I'd like for us to think about this fact. First of all, the Holy Spirit exists. I guess we ought to start there. The Holy Spirit exists. And then secondly, the Holy Spirit indwells believers. Every believer. So just for a few minutes this morning, consider that first thought, the Holy Spirit exists. And to make such a statement is to remind ourselves that we do believe in something called a trinity. And that is what our statement of faith says, is it not? We believe there is one and only one living and true God, and that in the unity of the Godhead, there are three persons, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We believe in this concept called the trinity. I know the word trinity does not appear in the Bibles, but the truth of the trinity is taught all throughout the Bible. It is a concept that is clearly there. One well-known expositor in his study Bible, some of you are holding his study Bible this morning, here's what he says about this topic. He says, we teach that there is but one living and true God, an infinite, all-knowing spirit, perfect in all his attributes, one in essence, eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each equally deserving worship and obedience. And of course, there's Bible verses peppered throughout that definition that I didn't read for you there. And so we believe the Holy Spirit exists as the third person of the Trinity. He's not some force like in Star Wars. He is a person. And that is an important thing for us to understand. He exists. He is just as much God as the Father is. He is just as much God as Jesus Christ is. The Holy Spirit is seen in creation. In Genesis chapter 1, we see that the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. All three members of the Trinity were involved in creation. John chapter 1 tells us that not anything was made that was not made by the Lord Jesus Christ. He was also involved in the creation of the world. So these are all persons. From From the very beginning of our Bibles, we learn about this person, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. He exists. Real. It's called by many names in our Bible, uh, just a few. He's called the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, the Spirit of the Lord. He exists. He exists. And we can spend a lot of time on that, but I, I will, we'll just leave it right there. Will you accept that from me this morning? The Holy Spirit exists. Let's move to the second thought, because this is one that I'm sure there's more questions about. I doubt too many in this room this morning uh, who've read their Bibles at all would doubt that first point. But the second point may raise some questions in your mind. The fact is, the second point is the Holy Spirit indwells. He indwells every believer. Now, when it comes to describing the Holy Spirit and his relationship to you and I, there are, there are three actual words that are used in our Bible, basically three words that are used, uh, and there is a lot of confusion surrounding them. One of those words is baptism. There is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. How many of you have heard that word? Almost everybody, I'm sure, even though nobody's raising their hands, I know you've heard that word. The baptism of the Holy Ghost. And then there is the concept of the indwelling of the Holy Ghost, or the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And finally, there is the concept of the filling of the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of confusion about the Holy Spirit and his ministry and his working in our lives because we do not have a proper understanding of those three terms. Some people today would say that after you get saved, you need to pray for the Holy Ghost to come. You need to pray for the baptism of the Holy Ghost in your life. Some of you might believe that this morning. Some of you might have heard that before. The question is, is that correct? Do you need to pray for the Holy Ghost to come after you've been saved? Some think that receiving the Holy Ghost into your life is a second blessing. You may have heard that term used before. A second blessing, something that happens only to some Christians after they get saved. They pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and they receive this second blessing 
which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some teach that the sign gifts, and we won't talk about those this morning, but we will in a couple of weeks. Some teach that the sign gifts, which were given to the apostles in the New Testament, things like speaking in tongues and healing and miracles, uh, casting out demons, things like that. Some think that those are an indication that a Christian has received that extra little bit of the Holy Spirit in their life. They've got that extra, that second blessing. And the evidence of that is that they can now speak in tongues or they can heal or things like that. Are these correct? The Bible does tell us these three different words, and I would like to suggest this morning that if we get a clear understanding of those three different words, we'll understand answers to all those questions. Let's think, first of all, about the word baptism. What is the baptism of the Holy Ghost? And I can sum that up for you in one simple sentence. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is a historical event that took place on the day of Pentecost. And that's the only definition of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. A historical event that took place at Pentecost. Let me read you uh, one, one scholar's explanation of that. He said, The baptism of the Holy Spirit is an altogether different thing than the filling of the Spirit. And we'll see that in a moment. In that the baptism is historic. It refers to the constitution of the church at Pentecost. There are seven, possibly eight verses in the Bible that refer to this event. Five are prophetic. One is historic. And two are didactic or teaching passages. And all of them point to Acts chapter 2, which is the historic account of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. When the Holy Ghost descended at Pentecost, ushering into church age, he baptized all believers into the body of Christ. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a historic event. It took place, Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church. Here are those verses that he mentioned. John the Baptist is one who mentioned the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and he mentioned it as being future. He mentioned it in Matthew chapter 3, Mark chapter 1, Luke chapter 3, and John chapter 1. And here's what he said. He said, I indeed baptize you with, with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. He shall. It's a future event. Hasn't happened Yet The next mention of it uh, is not John the Baptist, it's Jesus Christ himself. In Acts chapter 1 and verse number 5, right before he ascends into heaven, he says, John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from now. It's still a future event, but it hasn't happened yet. It's just getting close. It occurred on Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. That is the historic event when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And the only other reference we have to the baptism of the Holy Ghost in our Bibles is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where we read, By one Spirit are we all baptized into one body whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free and have been all made to drink into one spirit. By one spirit are, or that could also be translated were, we all baptize into one body. And so we have these references to it as a future event. We have the event. We have a reference to it as a past event. That's all we have about the baptism of the Holy Ghost in the Bible. And here's the important thing that we need to understand. Nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the Bible are we ever commanded to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. Ever. It's not something that we are ever taught to seek. It's not something we're ever taught to ask for. We're not commanded to be baptized in the Holy Spirit because it's an automatic thing for a Christian. When a Christian trusts Christ and gets saved, they are baptized in the Holy Spirit. They become a partaker in that baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's an automatic thing. 
And so we don't need to seek that. We just need to seek Christ. And then we'll have it. It's part of the package. So that's one word, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But what about that word indwelling? Indwelling. It is important for us to understand that the baptism of the Holy Ghost marked a a change in the way the Holy Spirit worked with us on this earth. In the Old Testament, which would be before Acts chapter 2, every place you read about the Holy Ghost, you read that he came upon people. He would come upon people and empower them or equip them for particular things as needed. You might remember the story of Samson. I like Samson in the Old Testament. Samson is is one of those people I can uh, relate to because he was so flawed. And I, too, am flawed. And so I I relate to Samson. But I I love the fact that Samson, whenever God wanted to do something with him, the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And he would suddenly be superhuman and do something great, like carry the walls of the city off or do something amazing. And we see that all throughout the Old Testament, that when the Holy Spirit moved, he came upon people and he equipped them for a certain task or for a certain ministry, uh, but he came upon. But in the New Testament now, we see a completely different thing. In our, in, in, after Pentecost, after Acts chapter 2, we see that his ministry now is one of indwelling. Our text this morning is verse number 17 that Brother Phil read there in John uh, chapter uh, 14. John fourteen seventeen, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. At the time Jesus said this, he said, he's with you, but he will be in you. And what he's referring to there is after Pentecost. And so there's a tremendous change that took place. His ministry now is one of indwelling. He is now in us. Now, the Bible teaches this truth in a couple of ways. It teaches it in a positive way. It also teaches it in a negative way. Let me share a couple of the positive uh, references to this, where the Bible is telling us that every Christian is indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, John chapter 14, uh, what we just read is one of them, one of those passages. Another is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Know ye not that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is another one. What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 14 says, That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost, which dwelleth in us. Uh, And so there's verses of the Bible that teach us in a very positive way that after Pentecost, the believer is actually indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. There's also a negative reference to it, which basically says, if we are not indwelt, we are not even saved. And that's in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 9. Ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Not even saved. So both positively and negatively, the Bible makes it clear that since Pentecost, the believer, once we trust Christ, we are indwelt by the spirit of God. And so the point is this. If you've been saved, you have been baptized into the body of Christ when you were saved. You, you partook of that baptism, that historical event that took place, and you are indwelt now with the Holy Spirit. There is no more of the Holy Spirit for you to get. There is no second blessing that you need to seek. There is none of that. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a liquid. You have him all. You cannot get any more from the moment of your salvation. So there's the baptism of the Holy Ghost. There's the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. But then there's that third word. What about the filling of the Holy Ghost? Now, we're nowhere taught to seek the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We're nowhere taught to seek the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. Because we get that when we're saved. 
But the Bible does teach us to seek the filling of the Holy Ghost. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 18 says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. That's an imperative. That's a command. We're taught that. Seek the filling of the Spirit. So what does it mean? Is it possible, for example, to be partially filled? Is it possible to be empty, as my gas tank so often seems to be? Is it? I think it is. But I don't think it is in the way that so many times we seem to think. Uh, We have all the spirit we're going to get. So if we're running on empty, it's not because we don't have him. There's got to be some other answer to it. The fact is this matter of being filled speaks more about his influence or more about his control in our lives. It does not speak to how much of him we have. It speaks to how surrendered we are to him. That's what the word filled actually means, by the way. The word filled in our Bibles literally means controlled by, influenced by, under the sway of. Some examples. Luke chapter 4 and verse number 28. All they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. Was wrath some substance that filled them up and poured out of their ears? No, that clearly means they were under the control of that emotion, doesn't it? They were filled with wrath. I remember reading an incident years ago. I don't even think we lived here at the time, but I, every time I go through this particular area of Akron, I always remember this story years ago about these two people who were having a road rage incident, going down, shaking their fists at each other, and, and they pulled up to a light, and the one guy leaped out of his car and ran up to the other car and grabbed the guy and flung him out in traffic and killed him. You guys remember when that happened in Akron some years ago? I've always thought if there's ever been an example of being filled with rage or filled with wrath, under the control of, that was it. The guy clearly was out of his mind with wrath. The same Greek word is used of Zacharias in Luke chapter 1 and verse number 67. His father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost under the control of. John chapter 16 and verse 6, Because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Again, sorrow was just an emotion that they were under the control of. Same Greek word is used in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 18. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And there's even another Greek word in our Bibles translated fill. It's filled or full. It's seen in Acts chapter 13 and verse number 10, where Paul said, O oh, full of all subtlety and mischief, child of the devil, enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? Same word used of Barnabas in Acts chapter 11, verse 24. He was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. Much people was added unto the Lord. So every one of these examples, every place you can find it in the Bible, the word full or filled means to be controlled by or to be influenced by. Another example. One last example. Acts chapter 19 and verse 29. The whole city was filled with confusion. I mean, clearly that's talking about it was under the influence of, under the control of, under the sway of that emotion. I have a brother who's a state highway patrolman. I asked him one time, I said, uh, what do you do whenever you pull somebody over who appears to be inebriated? And he said, well, he does three different things. He said the first thing he does is he takes his pen out and he holds it up in front of their face. Some of you may know this. I hope you don't, but some of you may. Holds this pen in front of their face and goes, makes them follow it with, his, with their eyes. And then he... Uh, What's the other thing he does? He does two other things. Oh, then he has them stand on one leg, hold the other leg about six inches off the ground in front of them for 30 seconds. 
I'm not sure I could do that one, and I'm not, I'm not slightly inebriated, but that one would be hard, I think. And then he makes them walk a straight line, heel to toe, nine steps. I don't know why nine. He said, nine steps. Turn around and come right back, same line. And what's he testing for? He's testing whether or not they are under the influence of some controlled substance. Isn't that right? And isn't it interesting how the Bible contrasts being filled with the Spirit with drunkenness? In Ephesians chapter 5, and verse number 18. Which I've lost the verse right now. Where is it? <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5 and verse Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't it interesting that that contrast is there? Because that's what it means. It's the same meaning. To be under the influence of some controlled substance or to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. And so the baptism of the Holy Ghost, automatic, comes with salvation. The indwelling of the Holy Ghost, automatic, comes with salvation. But the filling of the Holy Spirit, that's different. We are to seek that. We are to pray for that. We are to look for it daily, weekly, hourly, constantly in our lives. Every minute we need to be surrendering to Christ and seeking to be under the Spirit's control. So three different words, all vitally important for us to understand what the Holy Spirit is. There's some other wonderful truths we could talk about. We're going to save those. Uh, We're going to talk in in a couple of weeks about the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit we might describe as the evidence of this indwelling of the Spirit in our life. And we'll talk in a couple of weeks about the gifts of the Spirit. And there'll be some controversial things there, I'm sure. But both are very fascinating and hopefully helpful to us this morning. But I hope, as we looked at just these introductory thoughts, I hope this clears up some of this for us. Because the fact is, if you're looking at your life and you're saying, I need the Holy Spirit in my life. I need to be, I need to be indwelt by the Spirit of God. Well, maybe what's, the question needs to be asked differently. Maybe you need to be saved. Because if you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, you're not saved. And that's what you need to be seeking. And so I would encourage you this morning to think about that. Examine your heart. Examine your life. Have you ever trusted Christ? Trust Christ. You get the Holy Spirit. You'll be filled to the full, indwelt by the Spirit of God. But then Christians, those of you who have gotten past that, and you know without a shadow of a doubt you're saved, think about that last word, the fullness of the Spirit. Are you surrendered? Are you surrendered to the Spirit of God in your life? Are you living? under the control, under the influence of the Spirit of God. Can you imagine what our lives could be if we were totally surrendered? Can you imagine? I think the Apostle Paul was such a man. And the Apostle Paul reached the entire known world for Christ. I find that astonishing. I think D.L. Moody might have been such a man. D.L. Moody, who some people say is responsible for a million Or maybe more souls being in heaven today. Can you imagine what we could accomplish as a church, Friendship Bible Church, what you and I could accomplish as individuals if we are filled with the Spirit of God and surrendered to His influence in our life? Sidlow Baxter in his commentary on the Bible says, What God chooses, He cleanses. What God cleanses, He molds. What God molds, He fills. And what God fills, He uses. Imagine. Imagine what we could do. I was listening to a wonderful sermon once by Dr. Stanley Toussaint. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. He was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. And he told a story one time which I thought was interesting. He said that during the gas crisis in the 70s, and some of you may remember those those days. I don't mean to just look at you, Jim. I'm sorry. But during the gas crisis in the 70s, people were getting rid of their big cars and turning them in for little cars. 
similar to what's happening today. And he said a friend of his had this monstrous Mercury Marquis. Had a 460 V8 in it. He said it was the most beautiful car he'd ever seen in his life. And uh, his friend said, I'm going to sell that car. And he says, you're not going to sell that car. And he says, yeah, I'm going to sell that car. He says, well, then I'm going to buy that car. So Dr. Susaint bought the car from him. But alas, he could not afford to drive it. Because it was a ridiculous V8. It got no mileage. So he parked it in his, in his driveway. And it just sat there. And he said every day he'd go out and he'd sit in that car. And he'd run his hands across the steering wheel. He'd adjust the mirror. He'd play with the seats. And then he'd start that big V8 up and he'd sit there and rev the engine a few minutes until his neighbors thought he was nuts. And he's, then he said this, and I'll never forget him saying this. He said, just think about it. There I was, sitting there with all that power and going nowhere. Isn't that the way many of us are? We have available to us the infinite power of the Spirit of God if we will but surrender to it. And be filled with it. Let us seek it. Even the spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive. Because it seeth him not. Neither knoweth him. Ye know him. For he dwelleth with you. And he shall be in you.